Hey, podcast listeners. I want you to be among the first to hear about Somli, a new way to discover, shop, and interact with Texas wineries. Somli is an online marketplace where wine enthusiasts can explore wineries, join wine clubs, read reviews, and buy or give the gift of Texas wine. Similar to Etsy, Somli enables artisan wineries to sell their wine direct to consumer and cut out the middleman. Somli's marketplace will be launching in Texas in early 2022. To learn more, visit somli.com or follow somli.wine on Instagram. Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 35, and this is my last episode of 2021. We're going to be taking a closer look at one of the most popular red grapes grown in Texas, Morvedra. I'll also share a recap of the most important Texas wine stories from 2021. Whether you're a regular listener or joining in for the first time, welcome to This is Texas Wine. These are what I consider the top news stories of 2021. Ah, Texas weather. It's hard to say too much about the winter storm that froze us out in February because damage was so variable across the state. It sounds like there will be limited supply of white grapes from certain vineyards, and the youngest and the oldest vines were particularly susceptible to damage. But it wasn't just the Valentine's Day weekend storm that was the problem. Additional freezes and hail events did damage too. As Will Rogers said, the farmer has to be an optimist or he wouldn't still be a farmer. The second story that was big in 2021 is Texas labeling laws. In June, the Texas legislature passed a compromise bill that tightens requirements on what constitutes a Texas wine. Starting in the 2022 harvest, only the most basic wine label, those that simply say Texas, are allowed to use non-Texas fruit. In other words, wine labels that include an AVA, like the Texas High Plains or the Texas Hill Country, or a vineyard or a county require 100% Texas fruit. This compromise took three legislative sessions, about six years, and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to settle. An organization called Texas Wine Growers, led by William Chris Vineyards co-founder Chris Brundrett, has been instrumental in seeing the legislation through. The third most important story of the year is the herbicide lawsuit. In early June, 57 grape growers in the Texas High Plains filed seeking hundreds of millions of dollars in damages from Bayer, Monsanto, and BASF for selling a defective seed system that features a highly volatile weed killer that drifted and crippled scores of vineyards. The suit was filed in Jefferson County, and it alleges that the drifting herbicide has damaged productive grapevines on dozens of vineyards since the companies began marketing a dicamba-based seed system for cotton and soybeans. The growers are seeking $560 million at trial, and this is believed to be the first suit brought on by the American wine industry against Bayer, Monsanto, and BASF. There have been no updates on this lawsuit shared publicly, the off-the-record conversations I've had tell me that the herbicide drift problem is already forcing grape growers out of business, and things are incredibly dire on the Texas High Plains. The number four story is about the growth in the Texas wine industry. 
Whether or not you agree with the methodology used by VinePair to count the number of Texas wineries, they counted 947 in Texas. Most of us will agree that the number of Texas wineries has increased in 2021. And yes, this growth comes both from Texans making the leap into the wine industry and people from other states, including California, who have relocated here to join the robust Texas wine industry. Since COVID is still having an impact on business operations, the fact that there's still growth is pretty remarkable. Thankfully, 2021 brought about the return of most in-person winery events. Grapefest returned, as did many winery pickup parties and wine festivals across the state. Wineries also grew in their geographic reach. In addition to the few wineries that have long been in out-of-state distribution like McPherson, 2021 brought an increase in smaller labels getting placements in wine shops and restaurants beyond the borders of Texas. I keep seeing Instagram posts from wine shops and restaurants, particularly those on the coasts, that are promoting wines from the Austin Winery, Ray Wilson's Wine for the People, and newcomer Sheremy Wines. Closer to home, Marcarcy Market in Flower Mound is amassing one of the largest retail shops with exclusively Texas wine. The next important Texas wine story is about supply chain challenges. The challenges that have hit the supply chain across the U.S. have also impacted Texas wineries. Issues have included getting glass, labels, parts for machinery, and more. And that's to say nothing of the challenges finding staff. Seems like most of the wineries you visit are looking for additional help, either in the tasting room, the vineyard, or the cellar. There have been a number of notable winery openings, new hires, and expansions. Perhaps no opening has been as highly anticipated as Slate Theory Winery, which features an extensive cave system. The hill at high marks John Rivenberg's presence on the 290 Wine Road. Covington Hill Country opened in Johnson City. Messina Hoff Harvest Green opened in Richmond outside of Houston. And William Chris Wine Company acquired Hoover Valley Vineyards, a 78-acre vineyard in the Hill Country. In hiring news, Becker Vineyards has a new general manager. They hired Patrick Connolly, who has a long career in the Northern California and Oregon wine regions. William Chris Wine Company also hired a new general manager. John Cedillo III is a native Texan who has returned back home after working for years in Florida in hospitality roles for Disney, Hilton, and others. Winemakers have moved around like crazy, and I can't even keep track of who's where. And Jeff Cope's Texas Wine Lover website celebrated a 10-year anniversary. In podcast news, I released 20 new podcast episodes, had big growth in listeners, and welcomed my first sponsors, Texas Fine Wine and Somli. At the beginning of 2021, I had set five goals for myself for the year, and like so many New Year's resolutions, I accomplished a few of them and others were a bust. One of my goals was to spend more time in Fredericksburg, and I definitely did that. I visited a bunch of new-to-me wineries in the Hill Country and in various locations across the state. Another goal was to visit the wineries in St. Joe. And I did visit a couple of the wineries in St. Joe, including Blue Ostrich and 4R Ranch Winery. But I didn't have time to make it to RK, and so that's still on my list. Next, I had a goal to help with harvest, and I accomplished that goal. I harvested Simeon at Rustic Spur Vineyards. Another goal was to host a blind tasting of Morvedra from around the world. And while I didn't host a blind tasting, I did teach a class on Morvedra around the world, and we tasted five wines. 
thanks to the Dallas chapter of Women for Wine Sense for having me lead that event. And finally, I had hoped to have a podcast meetup this year, but it didn't happen. Maybe 2022 will be the year to do that. The next important story is that when it comes to Texas created wine media, 2021 was a great year. There were 10 episodes of a YouTube series called Texas Winemakers that were published this year, and several more videos where viewers could visit a Texas tasting room. A new show called Uncorked also appeared on YouTube. There's only one full episode out, but producer Jeff Bush also published other video content, including footage of the harvest that I worked at Rustic Spur, and several videos that I'd classify under Texas wine education. There was even a book released that's set along the Wine Road 290, featuring dozens of Texas wineries. It's called Cactus Christmas, a Texas Wine Trail series by Heather Renee May. I hope you had some Texas wine highlights of your own. Maybe it was visiting a winery for the first time, joining a new wine club, or exploring a new-to-you grape variety. Whatever your high points were in 2021, here's hoping that there are even more opportunities to celebrate with Texas wine in 2022. You can find links to all of these stories in the show notes at thisistexaswine.com. And that's the Texas Wine News. I mentioned the class I taught on Morvedra, and if you're a regular podcast listener, you know that I am a Morvedra lover. So I wanted to spend some more time talking about this grape since it's not a well-known grape for most people. But there's a good chance you've had a Texas Morvedra. It's a top five red grape grown in Texas. And Texas Wine Lover website shows that there are 68 vineyards that grow Morvedra across the state. State data shows that there were 250 bearing acres of Morvedra in 2020, with 57 acres in the Hill Country and 190 in the Texas High Plains. This is huge growth from 2015, when there were only 45 bearing acres in the High Plains and 17 in the Hill Country, for a total of around 77 acres statewide. So that's from 77 acres in 2015 to 250 in 2020, the most recent year for which we have data. You'll find a lot of Morvedra in Texas tasting rooms. I just had a nice phone conversation with Bobby Cox, who has been involved in the Texas grape growing scene since the early 1970s. He said Morvedra, which they called Mataro at the time, was planted in a little test plot planted by the Texas A&M University while he worked for them between the years of 1978 and 1983. But he also said that Dr. Richard Becker had planted Morvedra at Becker Vineyards in the Hill Country before that. Unfortunately, those vines succumbed to Pierce's disease in their second or third leaf. The earliest commercial vineyard plantings of Morvedra that he knew of were planted at Martin's Vineyard in the Texas High Plains in 2003. Bobby Cox also thought that Jim Johnson may have had some of the early bottlings of Morvedra, and that sounds like a research project for me for another day. But before we go into specifics with Texas Morvedra, let's zoom out and talk about Morvedra's history and where else it's grown. I did a presentation for the Dallas chapter of Women for Wine Sense, and I've adapted the presentation that I did for that group to have a more Texas-focused content, and that's what I'll share with you today. So first, let's talk about the pronunciation. I say Morvedra, but I've also heard it pronounced Moorvedra or Movedra, and also some people drop the last syllable and just say Morved. 
I understand that native French speakers may, instead of using the last syllable, just kind of breathe the last syllable. It's more of a breath than an actual pronunciation. So it seems like for the most part, anything goes, but I'll just call it Morvedra. Two popular synonyms for Morvedra are Armonestrel, which is what they call it in Spain, and Mataro, which is a popular name for Morvedra in Australia and California. You can use this red grape to make rosé, a blend, a single varietal wine, sparkling, and even a fortified wine. And Morvedra is a top 15 grape worldwide in planted acres. History credits the Phoenicians for introducing this grape to Valencia around 500 BC. And the grape made its way to France and specifically to the Rhone Valley and partnered up with Grenache and Syrah to become part of a holy trinity that makes up the GSM blend. A group of producers called the Rhone Rangers popularized this variety in the early 1980s in California. Currently, the largest plantings of Morvedra in the world are in Spain. They grow about 150,000 acres of Morvedra. France is the next most popular country for Morvedra vines. They grow about 25,000 acres. In specific regions that are well known for the grape, including Bandol, the Rhone Valley, and the Languedoc. There are about 3,000 acres of Morvedra in the Barossa Valley and McLaren Vale in Australia. California grows just over 1,100 acres of Morvedra. Texas comes in at 250 acres, and Washington State grows about 126 acres of Morvedra. Morvedra is said to be extremely expressive of the place where it's grown. In other words, it's terroir-driven. That means that a Texas Morvedra isn't going to taste like a Morvedra grown in France or Australia. This is generally true of all grapes, but Morvedra is particularly known for adapting to where it's grown and being unique to the environment where it's grown. There's a saying that Morvedra likes its feet in the water and its face in the sun to see the sea. In other words, it needs to be irrigated or have access to a water source and likes its face in the sun so that it can ripen. I'm not sure those Morvedra vines in the high plains can actually see the sea, but that comment is reflective of where so much Morvedra grows in France and Spain. Texas grower Andy Timmons says that Morvedra is one of the most beautiful vines that grows in the vineyard, and that's why he planted it surrounding his house at his home vineyard in Lubbock County. The grape buds late and ripens late, so it's often the last grape to be harvested in the season. It is moderately drought tolerant, and it has an upright growth pattern. It can be trellised or it can be head trained. Morvedra can develop high sugars and high alcohol. Here's a little clip of Joey Banyasco talking about Morvedra in a recent podcast. Joey is the winemaker from Valley Mills Vineyards in Waco. So Morvedra is, uh, in most aspects, a joy to grow in the vineyard. Um, it has a number of really positive qualities. Number one, it's a late, um, it's late to break bud. So, um, it's, it's late to ripen as well, but, um, being late to break bud in the springtime means that, um, like for us, for example, it's at least 10 days later than Tempranillo. And so those 10 days, you know, are sometimes the difference between getting hit by a late freeze or not. So it has that nice advantage. It has, Morvedra has a very upright growth habit, so um, it actually doesn't tend to 
get really brambly. It tends to make really well-architectured cordons, and it grows well in a, a vertical trellis system, like a you know, vertical shoot positioning system. Um, pretty Really easy to prune and manage in that sense. Um, it is somewhat susceptible um, to, to downy and powdery mildew, so that's a, a slight drawback. Um, and like I mentioned, it's a late ripener, and so you've got to keep those vines really happy throughout the entirety of the season. Um, in, uh, in France, there's, there's lots of Morvedra that they can't even in many seasons can't even quite get all the way ripe because it's such a late uh, ripener and cold weather in October is coming, you know, and the grapes still quite, you know, aren't quite ripe. But, uh, in Texas, we can ripen Morvedra fully in just about every year which is a really, um, it's a, it's a really nice climactic advantage that we enjoy. And so I think that's one of the reasons that Movedra does so well here. It also tends to be, um, really forgiving on the acid side. Um, so one of the, um, probably most people who listen to this podcast may be aware that, um, the warmer regions, um, tend to be associated with higher pHs and thus lower acidity, um, in, in grapes and thus in wine. And um, Movedra usually has, it, it holds its acid fairly well um, as it ripens. And so we can often, um, like the trend for us is that we're picking Movedra six weeks later than Tempranillo, and, but it still has a better pH, far better. So yes, and that allows you to, to be more natural in the cellar and get away with no or very little acid additions on a grape like that because the wines are going to uh, turn out balanced even in a very hot climate. So, um, yeah, if you can avoid the, the, the fungal issues it can be prone to and the fact that it's not the thickest skinned grape, um, most years in Texas can be really good years for Movedra. Um, I really believe in it. And, uh, especially in West Texas where it's a little drier. And so those fungal issues aren't as much of a, a problem. Um, it just goes gangbusters. Yeah. It, it, oh, it is very susceptible to being overcropped. So, um, I haven't seen really high quality Movedra that's cropped much above five or six tons an acre. Um, it will punish you for trying to get too much grapes per acre, unfortunately. Once Movedra makes it into the cellar, we can expect small berries, which are going to give us high tannins. It's known to be fairly easygoing in the cellar, but it can be susceptible to reduction, which means that it can show barnyard or sulfur aromas if it's not exposed to oxygen during winemaking. What does it smell like? Morvedra can have either black or blue and red fruit presence, depending on where it's grown. Some common notes are blueberry, dark cherry, raspberry, and plum. It also has a particular earthy characteristic of sage, black pepper, wild game, violets, and a certain rusticity. There's a word, savage, which means rustic and animalistic, and it's an element of Morvedra. There's a word that's often used to describe Morvedra, and it's savage, and that's a rustic, animalistic element. With age, Morvedra develops notes of leather, tar, and charcuterie. When it comes to the structure of the wine, the acid is usually medium to medium plus, and it's a full-bodied wine. Alcohol can be high. There are medium plus to high tannins, but aging softens the tannins. When you look at Morvedra around the world, you, ha you have to look at France and specifically a region called Bandol. 
In France, Morvedre was the most widely planted grape in Provence before phylloxera, but it wasn't replanted after phylloxera because of the difficulty of grafting it to the available rootstock. Now in France, Morvedre primarily grows in the southern parts of the country where it gets enough heat to ripen. Bandol is the key appellation in Provence, which is in southeastern France, and this region was created in 1941. Bandol is particularly famous for its red wines. Its reds require 50 to 95% Morvedre in the blend, and they require at least 18 months in oak. There are also Bandol rosés that require at least 20% Morvedre, and these are age-worthy rosés. They're often blended with Grenache and Cinceau. So although Bandol is famed for its red wines, 74% of the wine made in Bandol is rosé. There are very low yield requirements in Bandol. So there's a saying that one vine equals one bottle of wine. And the vines must be eight years old to be able to be used in red wines. And they're hand harvested by law. Spain is another region that's very important for Morvedra. And remember that Morvedra that comes from Spain is usually going to be called Monastrel. Much of it is value priced and it can be a little bit jammy, fruit-forward, and somewhat simple. But it's often a great value. I'm particularly interested in trying some wine from the oldest Morvedra vines in the world. That vineyard is at Hewitson Winery in South Australia. An article in Wine Enthusiast included this vineyard in an article called 10 Vineyards Behind the World's Most Famous Wines. And at Hewitson, there are eight rows of Morvedra. These are 160-year-old vines that are dry-farmed. They were planted in 1853. In California, most of the old Morvedra vines are planted in Contra Costa County. A friend of mine just posted a wine from the Evangelo Vineyard, and the Morvedra there is 131 years old. This is a Hardy Wallace project. You may be familiar with the wine brand Dirty and Rowdy, which is a popular California natural wine brand. It just dissolved earlier this year, but Hardy Wallace was the dirty partner in that label, and they produced a bunch of old vine Morvedra. Now he's focusing on this new label that's called, believe it or not, Extra Dimensional Wine Company Yeah. I'd also love to taste the whole lineup of Morvedra blends and single varietal Morvedra from Tablas Creek. Their blog website is a great resource for information about Morvedra and the other Rhone varieties that they grow there in Paso Robles. So now let's turn our attention to Texas Morvedra. Some people call this Texas Pinot Noir. And as I said, there are 250 acres growing in Texas in 2020. And it's the fourth most planted grape variety in Texas. And it's trending up. It's primarily grown in the High Plains, but there is some in the Hill Country as well. In 2013 and 2014, when Texas had extensive freeze events, this was one of the grape varieties that did particularly well. But in 2019, during the Halloween Massacre freeze event, because the Morvedra was harvested so late, it hadn't gone into dormancy yet, and it was significantly harmed during that early freeze. But thankfully, that's a rare freeze event, and the last one of that nature happened in 1980. Late freezes are more common in the spring, whereas an early freeze that happens in October that would be more damaging for Morvedra is quite rare. In an article for Edible Austin, Chris Brendret of William Chris Vineyard says, Texas Morvedra is a little more approachable than in Bandol. It's not light, there's so much depth and character, but it expresses where it is from. 
We make Morvedra wine from several different vineyards within 25 miles of each other, and they are night and day different from each other. I am particularly excited to continue to taste Texas Morvedra as the vines get older, and I'm curious to see how the Morvedra in my cellar continues to develop with more bottle age. The oldest Texas Morvedra I've had is the 2010 William Chris Morvedra from Lost Draw Vineyard, and that was the first year that William Chris produced Morvedra. One of my very favorites is the 2017 Timmins Estate Morvedra by William Chris. That's a style that's lighter in color and only spends about seven months in large oak casks, and I find it perfect for a lot of Texas cuisine. As you've surmised, we can't talk about Morvedra in Texas without talking about William Chris vineyards, because William Chris is the number two Morvedra grower in the United States. Morvedra accounts for almost 40% of the production at William Chris. And by the way, if you're curious as who's number one in the USA, it's Klein Cellars, and they make red wines from Old Vine Morvedra, most of which is in Contra Costa County in California. The winery itself is in Sonoma. In 2021, William Chris Vineyards will produce six single vineyard Morvedras and will also use the grape in, in uh, blends. In the past, there have been even more single varietal bottlings than that. Here's a quote from Tony Ophiel, winemaker at William Chris. He says, we really enjoy Morvedra because it shows sight better than any other varieties that we work with in Texas. Vineyards even a mile away from each other can show significantly different wines. It's incredibly versatile if you can identify what path you want to take early on in the vineyard. It's a full-body Bandol-style wine. Our philosophy with Morvedra is to let it speak for itself. We will typically only use 10 to 15% new French or Eastern European oak. The wine really sings in neutral wood. During harvest, we try not to beat the fruit up too much while also balancing the right extraction program. And I just watched a video that included Andy Timmons, who's a key grape grower in the High Plains, and he grows a lot of the fruit for William Chris and Lost Straw. He said he's been growing Morvedra for 10 years, and he credits Chris Brundrett for helping the variety's popularity in Texas. He notes that Morvedra is really different from vintage to vintage and from one vineyard site to the other. So that's a theme that we're hearing over and over again. And this is a quote from Andy. A lot of people planted Morvedra because of the notoriety that you brought to it at William Chris. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. I never have a Morvedra that I can't sell. It's so versatile. You guys have made great rosés out of it. You've made great red wine. It blends so well. It's been a journey. It's been a great journey. Andy estimates that up to 30% of his 200 acres is Morvedra and says that surely that's one of the largest plantings of Morvedra in the country. In 2017, Texas Wine Lover website held an event in Houston where 17 Morvedres were blind tasted and judged by a panel. They called it the Battle of Texas Morvedra, and I think it's time to hold this event again. Of the top five winners, three of them were from William Chris. The other winners included Lost Straw Cellars, Lewis Wines, Rivenberg Wine, another wine from Lewis Wines, Ron Yates, Bingham Family, and Yano Estacado. I'll link to that article in the show notes. Some other Morvedra that I've enjoyed over the past year or so include wines from Sandy Road, and their fruit comes from farmhouse vineyards. This wine had a great year, and it placed best in category for International Morvedra at the 2021 Lone Star International Wine Competition. I just tasted the farmhouse vineyard's non-vintage Morvedra called Smoke and Mirrors, and it's really nice. 
And also Vinovium's 2019 Morvedra from Blackwater Draw, made by Michael Barton of Hilmi Cellars. It's got that floral aromatic quality that I love. And finally, the CL Buteau Desert Willow Vineyard Morvedra, which was just named one of the top 50 wines of 2021 by Vine Pear. So at the tasting that I did for the Dallas chapter of Women for Wine Sense, we tasted a rosé that was about 40% Morvedra from California. We tasted a wine from Spain, from the Jumilla DOP to be exact. From Texas, we tasted the Nobleman Wine Morvedra from 2019 that's made by John Rivenberg. Our bandol was by Domaines Ott. It was a 2014 wine. And then we concluded with Morvedra from California, Lake County AVA, and that was by Peter Franis. There are certain wines that I want to continue to drink more of to continue learning about Morvedra, and they include more bandol rosé, more GSM blends from France, Australia, California, and Texas. I always love Cote de Rhone, which is a common blend from the Rhone Valley, and it often includes Morvedra. It's a great party wine. And I'd also like to revisit uh, Chateau Beaucastel, which is a Chateauneuf de Pop, and it includes a larger percentage of Morvedra than most producers. Typically, they use about 60% Morvedra at Chateau Beaucastel. And finally, I'd like to try more varietal Morvedra from Washington, California, Texas, Spain, France, and Australia. Okay, here are three funny quotes that I found about Morvedra. One of the top producers in Bandol says that Morvedra is like a tall man who can dance. So I guess that means he has a lot of structure but is light on his feet. Not sure. Um, Karen McNeil, author of The Wine Bible, calls Morvedra the Heathcliff of red grapes. Mm. And then finally, in France, Morvedra is often called the dog strangler because of its ferocious tannins. I will link to a lot of these resources that I've spoken about today and welcome your suggestions of which Morvedra from Texas or around the world that I should try next. If you want a copy of the handout or of my PowerPoint presentation, please shoot me an email. Thank you to John Cedillo III, General Manager at William Chris Vineyards, and to Bobby Cox for helping me research this segment. Stay tuned for demerits and gold stars. If you're looking for a place to stay in Fredericksburg, check out heavenlyhost.com. My little cottage is doing quite well. It's usually booked every weekend. It's a two-bedroom, one-bath cottage located less than a mile from Main Street, and it's called Cork and Cactus. Heavenly Host has the cutest houses and the best service in the area. You can book at heavenlyhost.com and look for Cork and Cactus. Tell them the Texas Wine Podcast sent you. And if you need suggestions on places to visit in Fredericksburg and the surrounding areas, please reach out to me at texaswinepod at gmail.com. And now it's time for a Texas wine demerit and a gold star. My gold star goes out to Dorothy Gator and John Brescher for their new article, Here Are the Names and Words You Will Be Hearing in 2022. The article on grapecollective.com is a listing of words from A to Z that they expect to have a big showing over the next year. Things like C is for climate change, L is for low alcohol, O is for orange wine, and Z is for Zinfandel. Dorothy and John are 
pretty famous in the wine writing world for authoring the Wall Street Journal's weekly wine columns for many years. They're currently senior editors at Grape Collective and are also responsible for several books on wine. And they invented the international celebration of wine night called Open That Bottle Night. I had mentioned Dottie and John before on episode 23 with Wedding Oak because they had talked about uh, Texas Tanat in particular. They had sampled the sparkling rosé of Tanat made by Bending Branch, the Frizzante, and they loved it and wrote about it in their column. And so when I saw that they had posted this new article on their Instagram page, I commented that I was inspired to make a Texas-specific version. And Dottie and John responded by saying, tea is for Tanat. Whoa, I loved that they responded to me, first of all, and that they still have Texas Tanat top of mind. I replied saying, indeed, but some would argue that tea is from Tempranillo. So gold star for Dottie and John for the thoughtful article about what might be some key trends and buzzwords for 2022. Either Tanat or Tempranillo is great, as long as tea is for Texas wine. And by the way, the tea in their article is actually for Tariga Nacional, another grape that does well in Texas. My demerit goes to individuals who go on social media to complain about service in Texas winery tasting rooms, rather than take up the issue with winery management. It's especially frustrating when I see the exact same complaint shared on three or more wine groups online. It makes it seem a little bit personal. A friend of mine owns a popular pizza chain as, and has included this statement on his menu. Let us help before you yelp. Problem with your food? Service issue? A human created the problem and a human could solve it, but only if you tell us. Please ask for a manager if you are not satisfied with anything happening in the building while you are here, and we will make every effort to fix it. Of course, winery owners and managers want to know about service problems, but let's give the wineries the benefit of some grace in public while we work out our issues offline. In my opinion, there's little good that comes from putting the tasting room on blast in a public forum. So this is my last episode of 2021. And I do want to say thank you for listening, for subscribing, for your reviews, and for engaging on social media. All of that helps me find new listeners who are interested in Texas wine. If you do have feedback on this episode or topics that you'd like to see addressed in future episodes, please email me at texaswinepod at gmail.com. Thank you for helping this little podcast grow. And that's it for now. Thanks to all my new listeners who are discovering the podcast and making an effort to visit my website and buy me virtual Texas wine. Podcasts are always free to listen to, but they're not free to produce. To support this podcast, go to thisistexaswine.com and click on the support the podcast tab. As you know, this podcast runs on Texas wine. Thanks, y'all. Thanks to Texas Wine Lover website and Jeff Cope for helping promote the podcast. Visit txwinelover.com to help plan your next winery visit. Join me after the first of the year for my next episode. And thank you for listening to This is Texas Wine. Cheers, y'all.